Don't clap. Um, what are all... Um, that's Vince's thing, not mine. No, uh, just kidding. Uh, I'll have you clap at the end for him. Um, what our All of Life interviews are, are a moment where we take someone that is working a vocation that isn't ministry because we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So we don't think um, the physical therapist is, or me, we don't think that the pastor is more important than the physical therapist. And so we take time to, to look at these careers and how people image God and, and love God in their careers. And so Justin is our guy today. Now you could clap for him a little clap. My questions are over there. Sorry. Uh, Justin, so tell us, uh, tell us what you do and, and just describe your work uh, for us. Is it on? Here. How about that? Is that better? There we go. There's a button on this one. All right. So I'm a hospital physical therapist. I work with uh, if you were to get admitted to the hospital because you're really sick or you broke a bone or you're injured or something like that, then I would likely be the first one to get you up and out of bed if you had trouble doing that. Um, and then I kind of have a role in where people go from the hospital. If they're uh, limited in their mobility, if they have trouble getting up and walking. Um, so I a lot of times get to be the first person to help people take some steps after a big injury or a life event, something like that, and then help them get out the door with the right equipment and to a good, safe place for where they can get around and do their thing. So Awesome. That's, that's great. Yeah. Cool. My mom's a physical therapist. Um, fun fact. Uh, <laughs> just trying to make this more engaging. Um, so as, uh, as an image bearer of God, how does your wor- wor- work reflect some aspect of God's work? So how do you reflect God in your work? Uh, so, God's a healer. God's a, he's called the great physician, um, which is kind of fun because I work with a lot of physicians. So, if in a way, I get to, I get to work with God to bring about healing and um, function, you know, to people. So, God made our bodies to function well and to move well, and they're not just static. We don't just sit around all day. You know, he made our bodies to be able to do a lot of things. So, I get to partner with doctors and the patient themselves to kind of improve people's ability to get around and to to get back to walking if they've been injured, kind of restore their their mobility, their ability to to do life. So that's yeah. Yeah, that's great. And something we met this week and we were talking about it. Something we talked about how how God kind of issues truth and and usually it makes our lives better. And so kind of how does that come to play as you reflect God too? Totally. So telling somebody who's just gotten out of uh, let's say a knee replacement surgery that they can actually move their knee really gets a lot of uh, like different responses. Usually. No way, I'm not moving my knee because that is going to hurt, you know, and I can't do it. And so I get to speak the truth of you can move that knee. <laughs> and, and because you can move that knee, you can walk. And because you can walk, you can get around and do life. So that's kind of that role, I guess. That's awesome. That's great. So then my next question is, how does your work give you a unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world? So <laughs> there's, yeah, sickness, illness, um, but people are in the hospital for lots of different reasons. One of the reasons that uh, we're a trauma one center at Flagstaff Medical Center, that means all the trauma from the region comes to us. So people are there because somebody didn't value them and they hated them, and they, so they acted out in violence towards them. And we work with those people. We see people who are, are sick because for a long time they haven't been taking care of their bodies. They haven't been stewarding what God's given them to take care of. Um, and also, you know, people that God made their body well, and for whatever reason, the kind of sin in the world has made their body not work well. And so I get to work with all those people. You know, the, the last one might have some kind of deformity in their body that they didn't, they didn't do anything to deserve. That just happened. And so all those people I get to um, have an impact with and kind of see that play out for them. Wow. Um, and so my last question to you is just, uh, Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So how does your work function as an opportunity to love and serve others? I was thinking about that one this morning. Um, so it sounds really glamorous and fun and wow, that's awesome. But sometimes helping people means doing what they need. And so 
there's more times than not where that means helping somebody who's incontinent and can't control their bowel or bladder functions. And it's just my job to be there and to give them dignity of, hey, you're a person and this is happening and it's not your fault and you still have value, you know, to to the king, to Jesus, but also to me. So there's that. And then um, I guess just, yeah, being being humble enough to listen when somebody's kind of on their... Um, it's really fun to help people get better, and sometimes, and I can't explain why, people don't. And so I have to um, show the love of Jesus when somebody's facing the fact that they're not, they may not last till tomorrow, you know, and kind of just listening to them and, and taking all the things that I would love to help them with and kind of stepping back and, and serving them, you know, the way they need to be served. So, yeah. Well, thanks, man. Um, what I love about this is, and so we do this because we really want to stress the fact that that, that Justin is doing God's work, right? He's not a pastor. He, he's uh, not like a traditional missionary in that sense, but he's doing God's work. He's loving the, the, the world through his work, and, and um, he's being like Jesus in his work. And so, so we love that, and that's why we want to highlight that. And so what we also want to do is we want to pray for anyone in here that's a physical therapist. And so anyone that's a physical therapist or even a student becoming a physical therapist, would you stand up? I know that's awkward to you, but then I can, like, laser in my prayer on you. It's, it works better. And so anyone, any kind of, yeah, thank you. All right. And, and you know, older folk, look at these. These, these are the ones that are going to help you walk in a few years. Um, so... <laughs> So anyways, uh, I'm going to pray for Justin, I'm going to pray for you guys, and uh, I'll pray for Vince, and we'll, we'll get into the sermon here. Um, God, I just thank you for physical therapists, and I thank you for, for Justin and everyone else here who's standing, and thank you that they're, they're putting in so many hours of school and so much hard work to learn how, how our bodies work and how um, they move uh, in a functional way and what's the correct way to move them. And so, God, just, just uh, supernaturally bless them in their work. Help them to understand people's uh, bodies and how they move better than the other physical therapists around them and so that they can just say, man, God is, has given me insight in this area. And so, God, we, we uh, thank you for the physical par- therapists, and uh, we need you uh, to do anything good, even our, our vocations. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. And God, we're also going to pray for Vince. And just as he speaks today, let the words he says be what you would say to the group. Let, um, let us listen to you, God. Soften our hearts. Open our ears to hear your spirit. And so, God, let us hear from you and, and, and uh, know you today. And so, thank you, God. Amen. All right. Amen. You guys give a more round of applause to Justin and the work he's doing. And thank you for all you, you PTs and people in the medical practice. Um, my physical therapist... Michael Hardwick is sitting in the back there, and I, I was skeptical when I first jumped into this whole physical therapy voodoo thing, um, but it worked, and so I really got to see, if you don't know, and a lot of you have been gone, I tore my left calf muscle pretty bad about uh, five or six weeks ago, and, and um, the prognosis was that I would never walk again, and I'm just kidding, no, that's not true. <laughs> And uh, the prognosis was like two months, and I was up walking, I think, in, in like three or four weeks, and a lot of that was because of the work that you guys and the students that you're going to enter into. And so, again, uh, just to reinforce the beauty of how God uses your vocation to redeem the world, right? If we remember, in a, in a classic, just whole narrative of the Bible, that this thing started perfect and will end perfect, and in between, we're trying to get there. And so every time we step into God's redemptive mission, uh, through anything you do. Uh, You are doing God's work, and so we thank you once again for that. Um, I want to highlight one thing on that info card one more time, and Anthony already brought it up, but you'll see uh, Jono and Katie's RC. I think they call it like the Hill RC or something like that on the info card. Um, Tomorrow night, they're having a kind of a welcome barbecue for, for any students that want to be part of that. And so uh, you can find the information, I think, on the event card. Show up to the barbecue. I think it's free food, uh, which that means you'll go. And then uh, and so go, enjoy some food, good fellowship, and get connected. Um, and that's the deal. Okay? I want to say this on the front end. Since a lot of you guys might be new, you don't know me super well. And then also just to say this, I want there to be some excitement in this place today for what God is doing in the story 
story of Mark. Now, if you haven't been with us, we've been in Mark now for about 28 weeks, just diving into the scripture and saying, God, what are you trying to tell us? What does this mean for our lives? We made a shift about halfway through the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8, where it wasn't just about knowing who he is, it's about knowing who he is and following him. That there is this amazing call to discipleship in chapter 8, where the Father comes down from heaven and he says, this is my son Jesus, listen to him. So no longer is it like we saw in chapter 1, this is my son Jesus with whom I'm well pleased, where we just get identification, we say, we know who this guy is, now the movement is follow him. If you believe he's Jesus, if you believe he's the Messiah, listen to what he's telling you to do. And that's where we find ourselves again today. So with the excitement piece, I found that today we're going to get 10 points. And I don't like usually having this many points, but 10 points. And so I think somewhere in there, we're going to connect with all of you at some level. And so if you are the amening type, okay, I want to hear it today. Like, let's get excited about the word of God, okay? Let's get excited about following you. So if you agree with me, amen. amen. Now, if you don't agree with me, what do we always say? Be quiet, okay? <laughs> don't want any of that, okay? And that's just tradition here, okay? Um, if you have a problem with something that's, that has been said, we can talk later. But I want us to engage scripture and I know it's easy to sit in the room, especially, and, and Anthony hit on it. I remember, I, listen, here's my story, just to give you on the front end. And we don't always talk about students this much. It's just because today is the last day of moving, right? And tomorrow, a lot of you students are going to start school. But I remember, I got saved in college. Like, that's, that's when I said I fully gave my life over to God. I went to a church, and I stayed there for four years. And I want to encourage you to do the same, that God would use this time and this place. Or listen, if it's not redemption, go to a church during your college career to hear from the Lord and be discipled to follow him beyond your college career. Amen? That's my hope for you guys, okay? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, verse 27. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, don't feel weird. Raise your hand. We've got people coming down the aisles with Bibles to pass out for you. Come on, I know there's somebody who don't have them. I want you to follow along. Don't be shy. There you go. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. Please take this one. Read it. If you have a friend who doesn't have one, take one. Leave it in his dorm room when he's not looking, okay? Mark chapter 11. Mark is the second book of your New Testament, which is the second half of your Bible. You'll see Matthew, you'll see Mark, and you'll see John. So if you hit John, go back. If you hit Matthew, go forward. And we're in Mark chapter 11. You'll see the numbers in the top right and left hand corners of your Bibles. Now, let me, give, let me give us just a little bit of recap because like we say here every week, Mark is a narrative. It's a story, and so it builds on itself. So a couple weeks back, we found Jesus in this interaction with two different crowds asking the same question. The question was, what can I do for you? Now, this sounds like a great question for the God of the universe who can do anything to ask you, what can I do for you? But we saw very different responses to this, one that was self-righteous and self-motivated versus one that was God-motivated, God-glorifying, giving faith to him and trust to him, not in themselves. And so what we found in the midst as we nuanced through that was that the desire is for us to say, no longer, God, what can you do for me? But rather, God, what have you done for me already? The role of the Christian disciple is not to say, God, what can you do for me now? It's, God, what have you done for me? What does the gospel say about my life? What does the gospel say about the grand narrative and story of the world? What is the gospel? What is the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve to die, and rose? What does all of that mean for us as followers of Jesus? And what does that mean for the world? Then the next question that must be asked as we reflect back on the gospel is not, Jesus, what can you do for me? It's, Jesus, what can we, your church, do for you? What are we supposed to do in response to the gospel? What does that mean for us as followers? What do we do with the fact that all of this is true and now you're sending us to the world? And we have to answer that question. So we tried to do it some more last week as Jesus comes in and we saw this huge introduction of Israel and the, and, and the comparing between uh, what Israel has done and what he wants to see in his future mission. And we saw that God was setting for himself, appointing himself a new people, a, a larger people, a more inclusive people, the church, to go and carry on the mission of God to the world. 
He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, preaching peace, coming in peaceful, saying, I want to bring peace to the world. The mission of the church is to walk in line with Christ, to continue on his mission, bringing peace, bringing shalom, restoring the brokenness that we've seen and experienced. So that brings us to today. Today kind of serves as a what not to do. So if last week was, this is what you're supposed to do. This is the, uh, the, uh, the mission of the church. Today is, okay, if we want that, here's some of the pitfalls, and we're going to look at Israel once again. What are some of the things that they missed on that if we want to be wise and we want to be uh, good disciples of Christ that we would try and cling to as much as we can? So that's it. Verse 27. Let's get started. They came to Jerusalem again. And he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And so Jesus now confronted by three different parts of one unit known as the Sanhedrin. This is the governing body between the Jews and Rome, the people that would oversee the Jewish people and their relationships with the Roman Empire and they send all three of their crew. Right, right. They, they send uh, chief priests, they send scribes, and they send elders. So this has become a very big deal. Everything that Jesus is doing has begun to, well, has begun a while ago, but now is really coming to a place where they need to figure this thing out because he's riling up the crowd too much. What we need to do today is already, as we see, this is going to be something where we need to look back and say, what do we learn today? How many times have you guys had stories in your life where you look back on it and say, okay, I need to learn from that. Or you were in an instance where you're with someone else, someone went before you, they did something, it did it, they did it wrong, and then you corrected it. So I was in Bolivia with my buddy Dan, and much like third world nations, there is very little restriction on the craziness you're allowed to do, okay? And so we find ourselves on the top of this forest canopy, climbing up a tree with a guy who says, there's a zip line up there, you should try it. And we said, that's a great idea, okay? And so we go up to this thing, there's no harness, which is always awesome, and you grab onto this thing, and you go down, and I'm kidding, probably about 100 yards long, I don't know the depth, it was, was a little scary. And so we're hold, or, uh, my buddy Dan goes before me, and he grabs on, and he pushes off, and he goes, and he goes, and what we forgot to tell him was that you're supposed to let go and fall into the lake below. Instead, Dan just keeps holding on and crashes into the embankment on the other side, okay? Yeah, yeah, he's alive. Now, when it's my turn to go, after saying, you okay, right? I now know something about what is before me, right? I, I know the right way I'm to go about the zip line. Okay, so I get onto it, both hands, holding tightly. I get halfway down, and I let go, and I crash into the water, zero pain, exactly how it was supposed to be done. I'll never forget this. As I'm letting go, I literally say to the guy, I say, do people usually get hurt doing this? And as I'm already going, he goes, usually. And I was like, great, man, thanks. But I let go and I'm fine. No, no, no that, that illustration seems a bit silly, right? But here's the thing. You and I are responsible. I was responsible for the information that I was now given based on what happened to Dan. Right, like, like I watched it with my own eyes. I saw it. I saw what happened to him, and I knew how to correct it. And if I didn't, the fool is me. Right, if I also jump back on, and I hold on, and I cling to this, and I crash in the embankment, it's on me. It's my fault. I should have learned. I'm responsible for who and what has happened before me. To learn and to grow. And so as Jesus enters into this, and we enter further into the story and see these 10 lessons that are to be learned, we are responsible for the information. We are responsible for the story of God. Church, if you're here and you're a Christian, I don't know if that's everyone's story here. If you're here and a Christian, you've signed up. You're following Jesus now. You are now part of the fulfillment of the mission that God initially gave to Israel. And that's what we're going to vet out today and see how do we do it as right as we can. 
So here's where we pick it up. Again, you have these, these, these chiefs and these scribes and these elders coming back to Jesus and they're already confronting him. Now last time we saw Jesus, he was in the temple tossing stuff over, chasing people out with a whip. I would be frustrated too. If you showed up here yesterday and this was just a carnival and you came in screaming and t- turning over tables and whipping people, we'd have a discussion today. And so this makes sense. They come, they approach Jesus, and they begin to say, by what authority are you doing the things that you're doing? Now, we don't know specifically what things they're specifically referencing right now. Are they just talking about the temple? Are they just talking about this one thing or that or the other? But I'm not sure. So let's just recap the Jesus of Mark real quick. He's forgiven sin. He accepts sinners. He hangs out with sinners. He calls tax collectors and sinners into his fellowship to be part of his mission. He redefines the Sabbath, destroys oral tradition, casts out demons, heals the sick, restores sight to the blind, raises the dead, calms the storm, and clears the temple. And there is much more. So I'm thinking, as they go to him say, man, who's giving you authority to do it? I'm thinking they're tracking the whole story. Like, who, who is this guy that, how are you doing these things that you're doing? And Jesus' response is, is brilliant. He doesn't answer, right? Which is always the best. Instead, he answers their question with his own question. He says, let me ask you this. You want to know why? Answer this for me. Was John's baptism, were the baptisms that were done by John, were those from God or heaven, right? Were those from God or were those from man? Like who, where did that come from? Answer me. I love how these, like, like, this is not going anywhere unless you answer this question. And so let's see how these guys respond. Excuse me. Um... We're not there yet. Yeah, we are. There it is. Verse 31. I couldn't find it. They discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, Jesus, this is the brilliance of Jesus right here. The way, the question that he poses See, he, he knows that they know. He knows that they've already got thoughts on this. And so what he does is he calls them back to the past. He says, hey, remember back, and for us, remember back to Mark chapter one? Remember when we first started this thing? And remember when the sky opened and John was baptizing people? Remember the sky opened and, and a dove just conveniently descended from the heavens and landed on the shoulder of me? <laughs> Do you remember this? Do you remember when the sky opened and a loud booming voice said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased? Who do you think my authority comes from? Do you remember this? I love it. He calls him back to this moment and says, you were there. You've heard the stories. Where do you think it comes from? Lesson number two that we have to learn. I didn't even say one before, did I? Number one was remember what God has done. Lesson two, Jesus' authority comes from the Father. Okay. Christ's authority comes from the Father. Christ's authority comes from the Father. So what he says, we do. It, it, there, it's not like, hey, you know, Jesus, that's a great suggestion, and I'll consider it. It's You're Jesus. You're the son of God. Your authority comes from heaven. God so saw fit that we would believe you that he parted the skies and sent a bird and a booming voice. So when Jesus speaks, we respond. Countless times throughout the history of the Jewish people thought the history of Israel was called to be like a blessed, to be a blessing, to go and preach good news to the world, to share about this God, this Yahweh, this, this guy who is uh, redeeming and created the world and wants to change life. Now we take that on, and if we begin to then doubt his authority in our lives, we're going to fall down the same path. If, if the Bible and what he has for you, listen to me, if the Bible and what he has for you is mere suggestion, then yeah, it's going to go bad. The creator of the universe gave us a decent idea of what life should look like, and the creator would know best, no? We must sit at the authority of Jesus. 
and continue on. Thank you. Who is that? We need more of that. Who are you? Gary? That makes sense. Um, <laughs> a, little, a little more out of this section because you guys, Joseph and Kate, I know you guys are a little fiery. All right. Verse 31, how are they going to respond to this? Uh, we've already read it. I mean, I am just sweaty and all over it. It's a weird thing to say. <laughs> so they find themselves trying to answer this question. They huddle up together and like, listen, if we do God, then we're going to have to acknowledge that we knew what happened in Mark 1. Like if we say God, then, then they got us because they're going to know, yeah, this is, this, you came from God. This is his authority, so we must listen. But then they also say, man, if, but if we say man, then gosh, man, everyone's, everyone's going to get upset. Because they love John. Like John was a hero to the Jewish people. And so if they say man, then, then, then they have a revolt. Then they have all these other issues. And so they decide to punt on the question and just go with, we don't know. Right? They just go with, we don't know. And we've all been in probably situations where there's just no right answer. Right? You just, I, I don't know. When Verity asks me, or I ask Verity, hey, like this morning, how are these pants looking? I don't know. Right? You don't want to make a definitive. You have these. This is the moment they're caught in. What do I do with this? We're, we're literally, we're, we're in trouble whichever direction we go here. So let's just tell them we don't know. Let, let's just pretend. Let's just lie to ourselves and say we don't, we don't want to know. And here's why I think they're doing it. I think they're doing this because they know if they answer one way or another, things have to change. That if they answer God, then their authority has to be him, and they have to sit, and things have to change for them. If they say man, then there's going to be a revolt, and things are going to have to change, and they are clinging tightly to their position, to their status, to their wealth, to their power, and to whatever idol they had lifted up. Lesson number three, beware idols. Beware idols. Do not allow things, and they will continue to grow as long as you allow them. Do not allow things in your life that will distract you from being able to follow Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. Idols are not always super bad things. Idols are oftentimes very good things that we make ultimate. Yesterday was my son's one-year birthday party, okay? And it was adorable, right? And so there he is, and he's amongst all these other kids, and here's how I know that there's a good chance Finley is an idol for me. Every time another adorable baby came up and either pushed or hit or stole something from Finley, I thought through murderous things, okay? Where's Jay? Dude, I was gonna body slam Obi. Like, he was just sleeper hold at the minimum, you know, but... Like, and this is my wickedness. Now, anything that would cause you to compromise what it means for you to follow Jesus, that thing is an idol. Okay, hear me. Anything that would cause you to compromise what it means for you to obey Jesus, that thing is an idol. Well, you go, why do you guys love, love that one? You guys are like, God's grace. Idols, yeah! <laughs> Weird. Okay, I like it. Confession. Okay. This we must be aware of because these things fester and they grow and we look throughout the story of Israel. You go through it, you read the old. There were constantly and consistently God the Father had to call out the idolatry of the nation to say, hey guys, there's something better. And it's me. Like I'm better than these things. Stop going after them. Stop going after these idols. Stop thinking they will fulfill you. And that is a whole nother sermon in the midst of it, but let's keep going, okay? Um, yeah, okay. Verse one, he's gonna go parable on them to answer them really and attack their hearts. He's gonna go parable on them. Verse one, he says, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So just quick restory recap, right? So this, this guy, he goes and plants this vineyard in a far-off land. He appoints tenants and then desires to get some of his harvest, 
So he sends servants, and he sends more servants, and he sends more servants, and they continue to beat them and send them away empty-handed. Verse 4, again he sent them to another, or sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is their heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So again, quick recap in case we missed anything, right? So again, he's sending more people, more servants, not working out, and then he has this idea. The owner of the vineyard has the idea, you know what, I'm going to send my son, my beloved son, because they're going to listen to him. They're going to have respect for him. They're going to understand he's my heir. He's family. He is a co-owner. He is part of it. They're going to get this, and they will respect him. They didn't respect any of the hired hands. They didn't respect any of the servants, and so let me send my son. And so the owner sends his son much to the same result. They see the son, and then they kill the son because they think that by killing him, they now take on the inheritance. Okay, we'll get rid of that guy because he's probably on his deathbed anyway, so eventually he'll die. We've killed the heir, so this will just all be ours now. And so they kill the son in hopes of their own glory, their own status, their own Prophet. And so let's look at this entire parable breaking down by what Jesus is trying to compare it to in a kind of key terms type of way. The vineyard is Israel, okay? The whole vineyard is Israel. Isaiah 5, 1 and 2 says, My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes but yielded only bad fruit. See, constantly we see throughout the Old Testament Jesus using metaphors for Israel. In Isaiah, he calls the prophet to refer to them as a vineyard. We know that now Jesus building off of Isaiah refers to the same people in the same analogy. The vineyard is the people of God. Lesson number four, do not forget your calling, okay? Don't forget your calling. In other words, Israel was being called out, identified since the beginning of time. God said, okay, I'm going to put together a a people for my own pleasure. He calls out Abraham uh, in in Genesis 12 and says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you out. You're going to go lead this people. And he makes the Jews, he makes Israel his chosen people for the glory of his name in the world. And consistently they forget it. Consistently they make it about themselves. Consistently they realize or begin to think that it's about their glory, their triumph, their needs, and not the calling that they've received from God. We too can easily forget the fact that as a church, that as Christians, we have been called, set apart by God, saved by him and not by our own doing. He has pulled us in. He has saved us, given us his grace, dying on the cross. He has brought us in. We are called by him. And yet we continue to kind of live these lives where it's like, well, this is kind of more my thing. Right, well, I'll do my thing here. This is more about kind of my name and my fame and my wealth and my glory and my status and my job and my relationship. No, no, all of it called by God, all of it under his sovereignty, all of it held together by him. The tenants, the tenants in the story is the Sanhedrin, is the leaders of Israel. Right now, he's, so he brings this up and says, okay, you, you guys are the leaders here. You're, you're the tenants. You're the bad guys. This is an uh-oh moment for the Sanhedrin guys listening into this. Oh, you're talking to us. Yes, you're the problem. You're a big part of the problem. Lesson number five is watch who you follow. Watch who you follow. Watch who are the leaders that you exalt and get behind because they will have influence over your life. And, and I'm gonna, I'll just be straight up. If you don't trust me, then don't be here. Go find another pastor that you trust for whatever reason. There's something I said, some way I dress, whatever. Then don't be here. 
but follow, be underneath teaching of people that you can trust because you need to be careful because there are people who will lead you astray. This is not just true for pastoral ministry. This is true for, listen, your bosses, those of you who have jobs, okay, for uh, relationships and friends in your life that you identify with, students, for teachers, for friends, maybe you're just coming, maybe you're a freshman, you're coming into this thing and you're like, man, this is the guy, this guy, he seems really cool, I'm gonna follow him. Might not be the best choice, you need to vet this out. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you entrust your affections to, who you entrust your calling to, who you entrust your formation to. Because your entire life, you are being formed and shaped by external things. Your internal is constantly processing all of this external information and people, and if you're not careful who you're listening to, the voices that teach you, you will look like something you don't want to look like. If you follow a knucklehead, you become a knucklehead, right? If you follow a gracious, loving king, one day we'll fully look like him, but in the meantime, we'll do our best to look like Christ. And that's the goal. How do we look more like Jesus? Watch who you follow. The servants in the story that constantly are sent over and over and over and are beaten and killed, these are the prophets, that for years and years and years, the people of God were sent, men and women, to say, listen up, pay attention. This is what's going on. And they kept missing it. Many times they were persecuted, rejected their uh, their prophecies were deemed silly and crazy and, they went, and the people went their own direction. Jeremiah seven twenty five and 26 says, it's from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants and prophets to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Lesson number six is not just watch who you follow, but it's then once you know, listen to who you follow. Okay. Not just watch, so, so identify. Like, so we say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna think through this. We're actually gonna, man, who am I being influenced by? And then when you find the right people that are gonna point you to God and to Christ and to good things, listen to them. Listen to them. I listen to them, hear me, listen to them. So many times I, I, I meet with people, I've, let's just, you know what, let's indict myself. I cannot look back, there are countless stories where I have gotten really good counsel from men that I trust and they've come and told me, don't do this, and then I said, ah, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Stupid. Foolish. Why? Why in a moment, if I say that I I trust these people, I'll follow these people, I believe that they know more about this than I do, then they tell me something I disagree with, do I go the other direction? Why do we do this? Listen to those whom you follow after you've identified that there are people worthy of it. Okay, yeah. The son, the son in the story is Jesus, right? Probably not the biggest shocker. The son in the story is Jesus. Jesus telling this parable, right, to to the scribes and the chief priests and the elders saying like, hey, listen up, I got something for you. He tells this parable and he says, you know what's gonna happen? That guy's gonna send his son and you're gonna kill the son. They, they, They killed the son and you're gonna do the very same thing. Jesus knows what's coming down the line. This, okay, this is Tuesday of Holy Week. Right? So we're a few days away from Jesus dying on the cross. And we are, we are days, we are a mere 72 hours, give or take, from Jesus being hung on a cross. He's taught, he says, I know what you're about to do. You're going to kill him. You're going to kill me. And you're going to do it because you think that by killing me, you'll get everything you want. You think that by destroying me, you get everything you want. <clears throat> And that's not the case. 
Do you think that if, that if I'm gone, that then you can continue to rule this people, that you can continue to take advantage of this people, that you can continue in the lifestyle that you want, you can continue to do this and that and the other. And here's the thing, this has been the problem since the beginning. Genesis 3, right, we go all the way back to the beginning, we go back to the fall, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to say, we got this. They try and be God knowing good from evil, knowing right from wrong. They trying to step into his position, take his inheritance. Israel did the same thing, and I fear countless times we step into the same position. God, I got this. I don't need you. I'll figure, I will be my own God. I will make my own decisions. What I think we learn, though, from the consistent, the consistent, okay, sending of servant upon servant upon servant upon servant upon the son in the parable and in the story of the gospel is the unbelievable, unimaginable love and grace of the father. The patience, the forbearing, the peace, the hope, the desire of God to see and bring about redemption and not destruction. To come in and say, okay, listen, I'm gonna give you another chance and another chance and another chance and then I'm even gonna send you my son and you're gonna kill him too. God is a God of grace. And he comes in and he's always showing, I want this for you. I want this for you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. My son Finley, again, I actually asked Vera, I said, how, many, how old does he have to be before I have to stop doing illustrations of him? And she, I think she said, as soon as, as soon as he knows I'm doing him. So we're just going to not tell him for a long time. Um, but I, had, I, I was cleaning Finley one time, and I remember thinking, um, uh, and it was number two, right? And so cleaning up number two, and I kid you not, as soon as I put on the new one, new number two, right? And I was like, all right, take it off. Do it again, okay? Put on another diaper. New number two. At that time, I was like, well, too bad. Just kidding. What'd I do? I changed him. I, I, I cleaned up I cleaned up his stuff. I don't know why it's a weird poop. It's a weird word to say from the pulpit. But I cleaned it up. And the reality is here's the truth. I, listen, I would have done it a thousand more times. Because he's my son. I'm, I'm not just being facetious about that. I mean I literally like I would have just done, I would have been there literally twenty four hours a day for the rest of his life if that's what he needed. Like, I, I just would have kept, okay, man, hey, you're dirty. Let's clean it up. 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 That is the love. That is the grace. That is the patience of God. You're going to keep messing up. You're going to keep making terrible decisions. We're going to keep going against the 10 lessons that we should know so well from this text. But over and over, the love of God will say, try again. I say, I'm going to clean you up. Get back after it. That's the gospel. And that is good news because, man, these things, it's like, gosh, man, Israel, these guys like knew God, right? They saw God. They were intimately involved in God's life and they blew it. What am I gonna do? Who am I? And that's true. You're nobody. I'm nobody. We just do our best, but we lean on the gospel and the cross of Jesus that says, you're forgiven. Amen. Amen. That's lesson number eight. Let's finish it up. Last couple verses. Mm-mm. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And with limited time, let me just give you a bit of an understanding of the whole cornerstone thing. Now, uh, 
logistically or currently, and the cornerstone still, and you'll see it in different buildings, but it is the stone oftentimes found at the corner of a building of which it sets the pace and sets the positioning for the rest of the stones. You build off of this stone. It is the foundation. It's the one that holds everything else, all else together. If you don't have that one, you're not doing great with your building, okay? Historically, historically, there's a story that's attached to this that I think is pretty profound, And like many stories, who knows how true it is, but it was true for the people of God. It was true for Israel in the Old Testament. They they saw this story, and it's this parable that always went around. It was about when Solomon was building the temple in the Old Testament. See, they would oftentimes, they would build the stones off-site, and then they would bring in the stone, and the stones would be the ones that then they would build off of and use and things like that. And what happened is there was this one stone that was sent very early on in the construction but it didn't look like the right stone. It wasn't a stone that seemed to be the cornerstone. So they kept looking for it and looking for it and looking for it, and they couldn't find the stone. They kept going back to the corner. Hey, where's, where's the cornerstone? We're looking for this thing. And eventually they said, no, we already sent it. It's there. It was like the first thing that we sent. And they go back, and they look at this stone that wasn't shaped the way that they thought it was supposed to be, and they realize that was the cornerstone. And they set it on its foundation, and then they build the rest of the temple off of it. Now, again, how historically accurate that was, but we're not sure, but it was a story, a parable that shaped the people of God and I think should continue to shape us. That there was a stone and he's he's calling and the people of Israel, the the scribes, the Pharisees, they would have known that story and they would have realized that Jesus is trying to say, I'm that stone. Like, I know you thought that the Messiah was supposed to come in and wreck shop and take over the Roman Empire and we would all rule together. I know that's what you were thinking, but that's not why I'm here. I'm the stone that you rejected that didn't look exactly like you were expecting, but I'm here and you will still and you must use me as the foundation for the whole world. That's what he's saying. I am the cornerstone. I am the one who bears the weight of this world. I am the one who bears the weight of your sin. I am the one who bears the weight of the brokenness of this world. I am the one with which the rest of this will be built off of. Lesson number nine is do not reject Jesus. As obvious as that may sound as Christians. Do not reject Jesus. Do not allow yourself to walk through this life thinking he's not who he says he is. If you're a Christian, he's the Lord of your life. That's what you signed up for. He's the Lord. Lord means he owns everything. When you step outside of it, we reject him and say, I got this. I'll figure this one out on my own. Don't do that. Don't reject Jesus. The last thing, and I like what we get to land on really good news for us as Christians, is here in lesson number 10, is never run away. Okay. See, the, the scribes and the rest of the Sanhedrin here, they, they run, they flee, because they're fearful. They, they fear what they've just been told. They've just been confronted with hard truth. Hey, you guys didn't do this right, and you shape up, right? And they decide to run. Okay. We don't run. We stay. We don't flee Jesus. We stay with him. As hard and as convicting as it is, as much as we just want to say, this is too much, I don't know how to do this, I'm going to go my own direction, we stay with Jesus. And we can do that because of the grace and the goodness of him because he does not lay condemnation upon us. They ran out of fear of condemnation. We stay because we have no fear of condemnation. We stay because the gospel says you are in Jesus, perfect, beautiful, spotless, spotless, blameless, covered by the blood of Jesus, forgiven. That's what the gospel, the blood of Christ does for those who put their faith in him. We do not need run, we do not need fear because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen. Before I pray, um, if you're here and, and, and you're not a Christian, 
right? You, and, and I say this every time, but you, you know, you got drug here or promise free lunch. Or you're, God's just been doing something in your heart and you're like, I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta be there, I gotta hear, I gotta learn, I gotta, whatever your story is, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just wanna say to you, learn from these things too. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Uh, to you students, you're gonna, if, you're, especially if you're a freshman, if you're not, if you're older, whatever, you've got somewhere between one year left of school or uh, nine. I don't know what you got, how long it takes you these days, but <laughs> somewhere in there, you're going to be here in this city. Seek Jesus. These things are true for you, whether you believe it or not. And he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your trust. He wants to give you grace and goodness and forgiveness and life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to promise eternity. He wants to do all of these things. And these are just true things. Do not reject them. If you're here and you're just visiting, you're like, ah, but I'm not a Christian. They don't. They do apply. Because God is saying these things to the whole world. Repent and believe in the gospel and you will be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you daily remind me, God, of how I get sidetracked, God, of how I miss you, how I forget you, how I exalt myself, reject you. What a, God, the Holy Spirit, we, Holy Spirit, just please bring about conviction in the people of God. God, that we'd be able to honestly look at this parable and not say, well, that was them. That, that was Israel. That was the Jews. That's not us. Oh, God, we are the same fallen people who are self-righteous and selfish and, God, self-glorifying. I, God, we have always much to learn. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just teach us in the midst of that, continue to Refine us, renew our hearts, renew our minds, transform us by your power. God, I want to pray for, I want to pray first for all the students that are here, whether you're just getting started or you've been here for a little bit already, God, we just pray that you would come in a powerful way, that you would reveal yourself, that Holy Spirit, you would bring about the joy that comes only from your presence and the conviction that only comes from your good calling. God, I pray for the rest of us that are not in school. God, that we would experience this renewal in our hearts, God. To know even our own faults and the things we failed in the past, to look to and learn from, be responsible for what we know. God, that we can continue on in your mission to the world. And God, I pray that part of that is investing in those that are here that are younger. God, move us into those relationships. Move us into our city, God, that we could present this gospel to the world. Present this reality to the world that you give grace and goodness and love in the midst of our mess. So God, bless us today as we now respond and we seek your face. In your name we pray, amen.